This morning we are continuing our series in 1 Samuel. I had 1 Samuel 26 to look at twice during the last month. I thought, I don't want to preach on this passage. I wanted to avoid this passage. Um, it's about dealing with dodgy leaders. And uh, I am uh, just wanted to walk away from what I feel God might be saying to us this morning. But I, um, the Lord convicted me to preach what the Word is saying. And so we'll be looking at 1 Samuel 26 this morning. But as we uh, come to look at that, uh, some of you who have only perhaps been around the last two or three years... Um, I had to ring my wife, uh, Rebecca, who's not well this morning, to check. But four years ago, on daylight saving morning, I had my first Sunday where the church was going to pray for, or they did pray for me in my absence. Uh, I was uh, due to rock up on my first Sunday. And uh, Rebecca and I had thought we'll be really spiritual, no TV, nothing on in the morning, just a quiet morning as we come to worship driving along through Piccadilly Valley, thinking we'd be half an hour early, and I get a call from Dave, who had led the first part of the service and was on the freeway to Allgate. He said, Robin, are you coming this morning? He said, yeah, I'm on my way. I'll be half an hour early. And uh, he said the two words, daylight saving. And I rocked up about 45 minutes late after they'd prayed for me, and I sort of joined in with communion. So <laughs> I also... Uh, Lost my license once hurrying to church. And uh, I was running so late, I was going so fast that I lost my license on going to church. And I think this morning, as uh, not to cover up my sins, but we're going to look at what God has to say to us about dealing with dodgy leaders and people in churches, uh, pastors, elders, ministry leaders. Uh, we're looking at the same principles apply to political leaders as well about how we respond when people are doing things that are contrary to their calling, that are violating their calling, that are undermining their ministry. And what do you do when you see these things happening? Leaders who want to be successful often revert to worldly CEO models and become very dominant and dictatorial, resulting in devastating lives, decimating churches and destroying ministries. Other leaders without sufficient accountability uh, fall into destructive leadership styles, immoral behaviour, financial impropriety. Different things happen uh, in churches, in politics, in the workplace when people uh, uh, don't keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. And often in their isolation, which is often generated by their own attitude, um, they become prey to Satan's wiles to, to attack their soul and undermine uh, their spirit. In politicians, in politics, uh, in the last uh, 13, 14 years, we've had seven prime ministers. Uh, in Australia, we had uh, tenures of six or seven years for the previous two or three prior to that. And uh, there was uh, people would consider that the leader in the incumbent leader was dodgy. They needed to be removed. They weren't good value to the to the party and to the country. So they they rolled those leaders, and we had a, a rolling cycle of leaders in our country. And in churches, the pastoral uh, uh, leadership, the same thing can happen in churches where pastor after pastor can be rolled and changed and sometimes there's uh, genuine reasons for that. Other times there can be just a controlling spirit in one or two individuals. We may have heard recently um, Hillsong had to let go their pastor in New York City because of moral failure. Of, uh, he was a pastor to Justin Bieber and uh, he was someone who... Um, just uh, failed morally and needed to be moved on. Some of you here 
have come from churches where you decided that the pastors or the leaders of the church where you were, you felt you couldn't stay there. I hope this morning there may be some uh, encouragement, there may be some need for repentance, there may be some need for God to speak to you in some way about um, the situation that you came from. But whatever it is that God's word is saying, then I trust that God uh, will speak to you, something that brings healing and wholeness and and a spirit of grace uh, uh, for the future. And this morning, as we look at 1 Samuel uh, 26, we're looking at David, King David, uh, who was the anointed king. He wasn't yet the king. And how he responded to Saul, as we look at how we can respond when leaders go AWOL, when leaders uh, become dodgy, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the workplace, how do you respond to someone who needs to be challenged and uh, is doing things that is violating uh, their role. And I've deliberately, and I don't have, you won't have any prompts, so I'm going to have to speak really clearly. Make sure you understand what I'm saying. Um, but the title this morning is, I originally had it as DWDL, Dealing with Dodgy Leaders. And that will give us the four things that I want to say, the four principles that come out of this passage that tell us how we respond to dodgy leaders. And before we look at those four key principles, I want us to be very clear about the kind of leader that David, prior to being king, he had been anointed in his youth to be the next uh, king and leader of Israel, a leader of God's people. And uh, he was uh, living and working uh, under the kingship of King Saul. Let's look very briefly, and I went a couple of times, read over the uh, half a dozen chapters up to chapter 26, and just the kind of things that King Saul, we often remember the one or two uh, popular stories from Sunday school days of where he tried to kill King David, uh, King David, uh, King uh, to kill David when he was ministering to him. But Saul was a king of Israel who had consulted a medium rather than consulting the priests and the judges and, and God's people. He was, his actions were driven by pathological jealousy. Every decision you look at as you read the chapters, you see that jealousy and, uh, and, and, and pride and, and every, those sort of things were shaping all his decisions. He, the familiar story, he tried to kill David with a spear. When David was ministering to him uh, in his... He used to get depressed. And sometimes, not all the time, depression can be because of uh, known sin that you just won't repent of. It's not a major cause, but it's one of the things. And King Saul obviously suffered from that. And David would be, was ministering to him. And uh, Saul had taken a spear and tried to kill him. Saul was conni conniving and manipulative. He wanted David, first of all, he offered his first daughter uh, to David. He wanted David to be his son-in-law so that he uh, would have more opportunity uh, to take his life. And Dave refused. Dave, not Dave. <laughs> David, the shepherd boy who was to be king, um, refused the first offer of a wife to become um, a son-in-law to King Saul. But then Saul offered him... Uh, uh, Michael, and uh, who was in love with David, and David was happy to, to marry uh, Michael. And again, Saul, manipulative, evil, sinful king, he wanted uh, David to marry Michael so that he would... Uh, and and the, the price that he put on it was you have to bring... Uh, pr kill a 100 Philistines in a very short piece of time, and then you can marry her. And Dave took up the challenge, and he got... it. 
David, shepherd boy, future King David, took up the challenge and, uh, and won Michael as his bride. But Saul's intent was evil. He hoped that David would die in, in fulfilling the requirement to marry his daughter. He lied to his son, Saul lied to his son, Jonathan, uh, and even asked Jonathan, knowing that he was David's best friend, to kill, uh, to kill his best friend and, uh, and, and, and used to lie to Jonathan about what his intentions were. And then coming close to where we're looking at this morning, uh, Saul had a hundred priests who would help David and his men by giving them the bread, uh, the, the, uh, the bread from, the, from the temple. Uh, he, had, he had given that to David's men to help them. And because these priests had helped David, he had all those hundred priests killed. He killed the anointed priests of the Lord and also their families and the town where they lived. Um, and at this point, he was hunting David in the mountains. And it says in the text, like, like, a, like hunting rabbits or um, in the hills, he was just chasing after David, trying to catch him, trying to fi find him to take his life. And that's where we come to the passage this morning, dealing in this case with an extremely dodgy leader who was not fulfilling his responsibilities, violating what God had called him to do, and sinning in many ways. And let's look at, as we will let the passage speak, as we uh, name four key principles that we see David, um, and the first two is why I didn't want to preach this, because when I see the kind of things happening that's happened, that some pastors do, that some politicians do, I would love to just get rid of them and destroy them and get them out of the place and, and move them on. But the first principle is we see uh, the principle that we don't destroy the Lord's anointed. Let's read 1 Samuel 26. And please don't give up on the sermon when you hear this after all those terrible things that Saul was doing. But let's read the passage. Um, this, starting um, at verse 1, the Ziphites uh, went... To Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon? And so Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. And Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah, facing Jeshimon. But David stayed in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul had followed him there, he went out. He sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. And then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had laid down. And Saul was lying inside the camp with the army and camped around him. And David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zariah, Job's brother, will you come down into the camp with me? Uh, to Saul. So Dave, David was going right into the place uh, where King Saul uh, was. And so, um, uh, I'll go with you, said Abishai. And so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head, and Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. And Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike twice. So he knew what he was going to do and he was going to do it well. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, 
he said, the Lord himself will strike him or in his time uh, will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. And so David had that opportunity to kill King Saul who was this totally uh, dodgy king, dodgy leader, violating God's word, violating his responsibilities, sinning against David, wanting to kill David, and yet David said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. And you know the previous story, which was a couple of few weeks ago, where he had a similar opportunity and he just cut a little, uh, a little piece of his garment off when, when Saul was uh, in the cave. And, and David was grief-stricken that he'd even touched the king's clothes and cut off uh, a piece of his garment. And so this is the second time David could have destroyed King Saul, who was doing such evil things, even to the point of wanting his own life. This first guiding principle, don't destroy the Lord's anointed. In political leaders, Romans 13.1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In terms of destroying people, and this is the principle here, in terms of destroying people, we don't take it upon ourselves to do what only God has the right to do. And secondly, to the attitude to people who do evil. In Romans 12, uh, and this applies, we often think of it in our own personal relationships, but I'd like to suggest that it's a challenge for us in any relationship. Um, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, be at peace with all people. And uh, be, uh, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then it goes on. We'll look at the rest of what the alternative is uh, towards the end. But these are hard words to apply. If you've been hurt by a leader... If a leader is doing things that violate God's word, maybe they're teaching heresy just to manipulate money out of people. Maybe they're giving them false hope as if the kingdom is fully here and that we're in heaven now and promising that God's going to do things, that God will only have their final and full fulfillment when Christ comes again. They may be teaching uh, uh, just um, distorting God's word um, and there may be things in their lives that are not according to God's word. And that first principle is very hard. I find it very hard. I've wanted to destroy leaders. I wanted to destroy their reputation. I've wanted to destroy, uh, to just get them out of the place in situations where I've observed things that I think are contrary to God's word, that are spiritually abusive, um, that maybe there's immorality or even financial impropriety. But we'll see how we deal with those things as we go through uh, this passage. The second um, principle that we see in David, he was willing to wait and trust the Lord in terms of what should happen. Yes, a leader should move on, a leader should finish up, but in terms of us taking it upon ourselves to destroy someone, uh, we see that we need to wait and trust the Lord for his timing. In 1 Samuel uh, 26, verse 12 of the chapter we're looking at, uh, where, uh, so David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. And here's the key thought that reminds us that God was had his hand over things. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. If they had disturbed uh, Saul's soldiers, then David and his 
Abishai would have been dead in, in, in no time. The second principle is, don't destroy the Lord's anointed. Wait and trust the Lord. And in your waiting, pray for the leaders in the church. Pray for the leaders of the country, however bad you think they are. Pray for them and wait on the Lord for his timing and his ways of dealing with those things. In Ephesians 1, 15 uh, to 17, it's a prayer. Paul prayed for the church and I believe we should pray uh, for each other and the leaders. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give uh, to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And in Colossians 1, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, do not cease, I do not cease to pray for you. I ask that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. However much people are failing to find God's will, to be doing God's will, to be listening to God's word, pray that they will. Pray that they will. Pray that they will see what God is saying. And as you wait and pray, you trust God's sovereign protection on the church. Are leaders doing damage? Sure. Are they just uh, doing things that are against what God would want them to do? Sure. Well, even with those things happening, it seems as we look at this, and I'm willing to be challenged and I'm open to learn and grow, and if I'm misinterpreting what God could be saying from this passage, David trusted uh, God's sovereign protection, not only over his own life, the nation of Israel, but we need to trust God's sovereign protection over his church as we see things happening that should not be happening, that God would not want to see happening. Um, And uh, we see uh, in Jesus uh, talking uh, uh, to Peter, who denied Christ three times, who was like a yo-yo in his... uh, in the early days uh, in his relationship uh, with Christ. And Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, the confession that Jesus is Messiah, the son of God, I will build my church. And here's the key statement and the gates of hell the things that are from hell that are happening in the church the things the evil that the pastors are doing will not uh, stop God building his church live with that faith no matter what's happening trust that God will build his church no matter come hell or high water God will build his church and in your waiting here's the challenge which we'll look at in a moment be willing as you wait to search your own heart Because your heart is going to make the difference about how these things play out in the life of the church. So the D is don't destroy the Lord's anointed. The W is wait. uh, Wait on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Pray for the leaders uh, and search your own heart. But the second D is you do confront. Suddenly you're all saying, at last, we know that something's got to happen. We don't just let evil grow and evil continue uh, to spread. But you do confront. Let's read what David did uh, in 1 Samuel in the chapter we're looking at, 13 verses 13 to 16. Then David crossed over the other side and stood on top of the hill. This is after he had taken the the jar and the spear. Um, 
some distance away, and there was a wide space between them. And he called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, aren't you going to answer to me, Abner? And Abner replied, who are you who calls the king? And David said, you're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard the Lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your Lord, the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men uh, must die because you uh, did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and the water jug uh, that were near his head? And so he's mocking those who were guarding King Saul, the evil king, the one who was failing in his responsibilities. And then um, uh, Saul recognised David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? How disingenuous and how calling him David, my son. And he goes on to say, and David replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, why is my lord pursuing his servant? This is David challenging Saul. What have I done and what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The King of Israel has come out to look for a flea uh, as one hunts for a partridge in the mountains. So he was confronting Saul, saying, uh, challenging him about the fact that he was hunting him uh, as like a flea or like a partridge in the mountains, just with a... Um, all his elite troops, he was chasing after David. Um, and, uh, but David publicly, in front of Saul's men, confronted him about the evil. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again, lying through his teeth. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. So the challenge for us is that we do confront, but we confront with the, the spirit, uh, if you like, that David had, one of uh, love and one of support, but we, which is a matter of confronting with the right attitude, a prerequisite for confronting in a way that leads to repentance uh, and not to conflict and division is to have the right attitude. And the first attitude that must be in your heart before you confront, not after someone confesses, but before and when you are confronting someone, there needs to be an attitude of forgiveness in your heart before you confront. Forgiveness is having no intent to destroy and pay someone back for what they've done to you. You, read the, you heard the list of what Saul had done to David. He had every opportunity to, uh, if you like, seek revenge, destroy Saul, pay him back for what he had done. David spoke publicly confronting the king uh, confronting Saul with a spirit of forgiveness. He hadn't sought revenge. He hadn't sought to destroy. Um, and he confronted uh, Saul. Um, and uh, Jesus was the same. An example uh, uh, with, um, uh, with, with a woman caught in adultery. He, he made it very clear when Jesus wanted her to change her life. He uh, confronted those who were just legalistic and judgmental and just telling her what her sin was. And when that all walked away, because they all knew that they were sinners as well, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He made that statement and then said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, repent and stop sinning and then I'll forgive and then you go on and behave yourself. He said, I don't condemn you. 
go and sin no more. That's how God comes to all of us. The work of the cross. God is speaking a word of forgiveness, forgiveness to all of humanity. Forgiveness is in the heart of all humanity uh, um, from God. And he's saying, I've done all that needs to be done to, to bring peace and, uh, and forgiveness and wholeness into your life. And he speaks those words of forgiveness as, uh, as the first word that people uh, need to hear in responding uh, to, to the gospel. And as we enter into that um, and accept that we are forgiven, it's so powerfully the, we were singing this morning about the transforming power of, of God's grace uh, in our lives as we accept that we uh, are forgiven and loved by God. And that is what transforms. So the first attitude when we are confronting a leader when we are and the principles apply whether it's a leader or a friend or a colleague or whoever it is have forgiveness in your heart and the second is that you confront with humility and gentleness Paul in Galatians 6 verse 1 says brothers and sisters if a person is discovered in some sin whether they're a leader or whether they're a, a brother and sister in the congregation who may not have leadership responsibilities and this is a word to all pastors it says you, and assuming that we're seeking to honour and walk in humility before God, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. If you think you are really spiritual and you can see someone sinning, you can suddenly feel a whole lot more spiritual because you're not doing what they're doing. That's a spirit of pride. Not just talking to pastors, talking to all of us. When we confront someone, we need uh, to restore such a person with a spirit of gentleness. And Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians has said, Let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. It says when pastors uh, and, and leaders are, are needing to talk to someone about uh, some uh, sin in their life that you feel you need to raise with them. It says in another place that um, Paul says to confront them with the attitude that you may well be the one needing confronting about the same thing at some point. Confront with grace, forgiveness, uh, with humility and gentleness, and that needs to be part of what um, we, the attitude that we have when we confront. And I want to say unashamedly that humility unites, and even when you're right, and you're challenging something that is a violation of the Word of God, that is a violation of what somebody's responsibilities are, um, even when you confront something, humility unites and pride divides. Um, conviction and your sense of what needs to be said plus pride equals division. If you confront a leader, confront uh, some issue with someone else, whether they're a leader or not, if you do it with pride and superiority, you will create division. You feel spiritual, they're the evil ones. You'll go and start another church where we've got it all right, where we've got all our doctrines right, where we're not sinning like this church lets their pastor sin. And so pride will lead to division. A lot of new denominations and things are born out of pride, even if they're right about some things. That sense of division is because of pride. And God calls us, when we, as we see in David, he had the humility, the grace, the forgiveness to simply speak the words of truth with the, with the right heart attitude. Paul confronted uh, in, in, Galatian, in, in Galatians, there's a reference, uh, and I won't read the whole passage, but uh, Paul had to confront Peter because um, before 
um, the people who came into the church who, who were Gentiles. Um, Peter was associating with Christians who weren't circumcised. And, and, and then um, when, um, when Paul rocked up, he suddenly withdrew. He thought, oh, I need to look right and look as though I'm holding to the right things. And so he refused to associate um, with the Gentile Christians. And Paul publicly rebuked Peter and said, you are dividing the church over this issue and called him out in front of the congregation and uh, told him and that he was uh, viol- not acting in consistent with the gospel uh, in, in dividing uh, the people of God over something which in his case was looking for the approval of, we, we can all do it, looking for the approval of people who see the scriptures or a certain interpretation of things the way we see it and we'll tend to fellowship with them and not fellowship with others who are equally God's children, who love the Lord, who have a spirit of humility, who have perhaps understood something and they're just as committed to the truth of God's word and we cause division. So when we are discussing those issues, even the understandings of God's word, there needs to be grace and humility and gentleness in our attitude so that we don't create division. And finally, and I'm conscious that we need to finish up, is uh, the L of dealing with dodgy leaders is leave the timing have you, as you confront with grace, humility, um, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, just humility before uh, the person, leave the timing of judgment to the Lord. So... Uh, as you confront, as you speak the truth, as you raise what needs to be raised, and I'll say unapologetically, silence about sin uh, is another sin. So there's a, in the right attitude, with the right um, heart, we need to speak. Um, first of all, uh, um, privately, and if necessary, you know that passage in, one, in Matthew 18, go to someone privately, the leader, if they don't listen and it's true what you're saying, and you might be wrong. There's plenty of people that have confronted pastors or confronted leaders or confronted politicians and they're just fighting for their, uh, their opinion. And so um, <clears throat> you need to confront one-on-one and see if maybe you've misunderstood something and if necessary, then go public if you find that there is an, an issue that needs to be raised. But leave the timing of judgment to the Lord um, and if the band like to come, um, confronting doesn't mean you work to destroy the leader and run them out of town, but you do name the sin and let the Lord be the judge in his time, in his way. You know what happens to a politician if the truth comes out. People will make their own decision at the next election. You don't have to be the one to out-destroy a person. Speak the truth, speak up about what's right in God's eyes, speak up and confront things in a church. If, you, if it becomes a public issue, people will deal with and God will work by his spirit through his people in his time to bring judgment for whatever has happened. We see this just reading the last part of the chapter we're looking at. Verse, um, but David said to uh, Abishai, um, uh, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him in his time, uh, will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on him. He waited for God's timing, for God to deal with Saul in his time and his way. Um, and then 
The chapter finishes. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men uh, come over and get it. And the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. That was his act of faithfulness and righteousness. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. And then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. So here's Saul blessing David now. You will do great things and surely triumph. Um, and your enemies will bless you when you do the right thing. So David went his way and Saul returned home. The ongoing after the, in Romans where it says about um, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It says, do not take revenge in Romans uh, 12, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, uh, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in the life of the church, as you love the leader, which is part of love, is confronting uh, and speaking up and naming things uh, in the church, in politics, in the workplace. Don't take it, I'll summarize again. Don't take it upon yourself to destroy the Lord's anointed. Wait on the Lord and pray uh, for the leaders, however dodgy you think they are. And sometimes you can be wrong. Do name their sin in pri privately first, then publicly if necessary. And uh, this brings its own judgment on the person. And then leave timing of judgment to the Lord. As we sing, as we finish, as we worship, as we close, um, as we do those things, it will be good for God's church, it will be good for our nation, and it will be good uh, for you as an individual seeking to live in harmony and peace with the living God. And as we are singing and during the last song, um, people are available to pray with you. Maybe you're struggling with anger at a past leader, something a pastor has done, something that you're so angry about. They've been so manipulative. They've been so uh, wrong in what they've done. Maybe you're still fuming with anger about that. Then I encourage you to come and ask the Lord to deal with your anger. You may be impatient with a desire for a leader to be punished. You may be struggling with patience and waiting for God's timing. Then uh, just come and, 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 uh, and ask for prayer. You may be needing the courage to confront um, somebody that you feel needs to be confronted. Then maybe you need to come and just allow someone to pray with you for wisdom and courage to speak the truth and to name the sins. And then you may need to also to pray for patience, to wait for God's timing in the church, in the workplace, or even in politics, that you will have patience, that God in his time will deal with those who need dealing with. I'd like to pray as I hand over to the worship team this morning. Father, we thank you that in the life of David, we see some clear principles that guide us as we wrestle with how we respond when things are happening that should never happen. And Lord, we pray for wisdom, we pray for courage, we pray for patience, and Lord, we pray for humility and, and, and a spirit of gentleness as we confront those who need confronting, if that's the case. And Lord, we thank you for the leadership we have in this church. We thank you, Lord, that there are people who love you, have a heart for you, have a heart for your word. And Lord, we just ask um, that you will protect 
all the ministry leaders and, and all the parents in homes, Lord, and, uh, and the pastors of across hills, Lord. We, we pray for your protection and your guidance and for an ongoing spirit of grace and humility in their hearts. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.